I did not think much about adoption when I was young. I suppose it had to do with my lack of exposure. Families with two parents with their biological children was the norm in my world. But I began to think more about it when Stephanie and I initially struggled to have children and certainly became more real in March of 1999. Our nephew, the first grandchild, was born a few months before our oldest son, uh, he died. Uh, his name was Zachary. We, no one knew it initially, but he was born with a rare genetic disease that the medical community did not know how to treat. I remember his funeral. He died at 20 months old, carrying the casket, seeing grief like I had not experienced to that point. But the Lord often uses moments of grief to chart new paths. Today, almost one out of every two of our nieces or nephews are adopted by one or both parents. And in addition, we've been around to see many other adoptions uh, through our family and friends. And every time there is an adoption, there's a new opportunity, a new lease on life, a new story waiting to be written. And that is worth celebrating. So today is a happy day. Today is exciting. And and here's the deal. Um, We're talking about gotcha day or finalization day or adoption day. You pick it. And you get to celebrate. And I hope there's a party going on in your heart. Uh, I know that I have a unique skill. I can make any party depressing. I seem to have a face that just naturally says, you're an idiot. So I'm going to do my best to smile as much through this message as I possibly can. And you are going to do your best to have a party in your heart. Does that sound like a deal? All right. With that in mind, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. That's on page 150 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Our annual theme is building on our heritage. Building on our heritage. The Lord has given us 60 years, and we're asking how we can appreciate the past while also looking forward to the future. And we thought the book of Ephesians would be a great place to think about those ideas. And it begins with an astonishing truth. Praise God for blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You read it, it just stops you in your tracks. Like, what? 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 If Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, then I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly heavenly places. Praise God is the right response to that. Or as some of my younger friends like to say, let's go. Let's go. The Lord chooses to describe several aspects of our salvation that make up who we are in Jesus. And that's why our series is called Remembering Our Identity as One in Christ. We've learned that we are saints. What a great title. That we are saints. That we are chosen. It was a reminder of grace. And this morning we're talking about we are adopted in Christ. 
I'm going to read verses 3 through 12. Please follow along as I read. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, having listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Spiritual adoption is the act at salvation whereby God places the believer in his family. Don't you love seeing on Facebook one of those official adoption or gotcha or finalization days? The judge with Every member of the family all dressed up and they celebrate the amazing thing that has just happened. Or maybe we should say the some things that have just happened. And for the purpose of this message, it is our spiritual adoption made on the day of our conversion that we're rejoicing in. And I would like us to consider five truths then about our spiritual adoption That should cause us to rejoice and live faithfully for him. The first one is our adoption welcomes us into a new family. In Ephesians 1 verse 5, it says he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Well, that raises a question. If I'm now adopted into his family, what family was I a part of before? Now, I realize that even saying that we're not automatically born into God's family can be a hard truth. We even have children's songs that can be misunderstood. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And how's the next line go? And so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. Well, it is true. That all those who have placed their faith in Jesus are, in fact, sons of Abraham. Galatians 3 tells us that. That means they are descendants of Abraham's faith. Because we are all justified by faith in order to be a son of Abraham. It doesn't mean, however, that everyone born is a son of Abraham. It wasn't true of them biologically, at least in a spiritual sense. 
And it doesn't mean that every child born into a Christian home or adopted into a Christian home is a child of Abraham. As we've heard Pastor Virus say, God has no grandchildren. Part of what makes adoption so wonderful is remembering what your family heritage was prior to your conversion. And Paul uses sonship terminology to explain that in Ephesians 2. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this air, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. In other words, according to this passage, we were part of the sons of disobedience, the children of wrath, living according to the will of the devil. And as a result, we were part of God's wrath against sin, along with everyone else who was in the same state as we were. In Paul's life and in our own, we did not need compelled to sin. We were already willing. It was our nature. And our brothers and sisters did the exact same. It came easy, without guilt. It was our core identity. But God did something. He had predestined us to be part of his family. A subject that Pastor, Virus, or Pastor Oakland covered last week. And when the time was right, the Lord moved. We were outside of God's household and his family. And Christ compelled us with an invitation to join his family. And I read what happened. It occurs in Ephesians 1... What what took place in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Think about the moment of your conversion for a moment. The day that it all clicked. One day you heard about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. But on that day, you were compelled to act. This time, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed. You realized That it wasn't so much about believing Jesus as a historical figure. It was about trusting him as your savior and the only hope of heaven. I heard last week that actually happened in the 930 service last Sunday morning. A person who attends regularly has heard the message of the gospel many times. And over and over and over again, it was just, yeah, okay, whatever. But not that day. That day was gotcha day. That day was finalization day. It was adoption day. Friends, you might be in that same situation. You've heard the message of the truth. And it's just been, yeah, okay. 
Okay, thanks so much. Appreciate another message. Today could be that day for you. You know, earlier this week, the author of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist came to Purdue to demonstrate that faith is not something only Christians exercise. The atheist exercises his religious convictions, namely that there is no God on the basis of faith. So I appeal to you. It's impossible to live without faith. The only question is which faith you want to exercise. And we believe the only compelling argument is faith in the God of the Old and New Testaments. The one who says that you are born in disobedience, doing the will and works of your father, the devil. That your sin separates you from a holy God. But God who is rich in mercy, loving us with great love, sent him to be no sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. So I urge you to acknowledge your sin, your unworthiness, implore you to see yourself as small in light of your creator who is enormous, and place your faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation. And when that happens, then Ephesians 2 again describes what that looks like. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, no longer from a different family, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So suddenly our core identity has changed. You get a new father and a new siblings. No longer sons of disobedience, but now brothers and sisters in Christ, with Jesus himself as the firstborn among many brethren. No longer does the reprimand that Jesus gave in John chapter 8 apply to those who know Christ, that you are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. But instead... As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We received a whole new family. It's way better than our previous dysfunctional home where we were all sons of disobedience, living for whatever we wanted. Well, that means, of course, that our new family is a present reality and independent then of our own thoughts, words, and deeds. At first, that might sound strange, but you know, sometimes believers struggle in who they are. They get lost and begin to wonder their purpose or value. They get lost in the worry and anxiety, discouragement, depression, despair of life. But you know, here's the reality. We're children of the Lord, and there's nothing that can change that. My children are greens. There's nothing that they can do to change that reality. We love them as our children. Whether they do the things that please and encourage us, or whether they do things that disappoint us. And if that's true for us, how much more true is it for the Lord and his family. 
In John chapter 10, we're told, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're part of the Lord's family because he set his affections on you. So rather than live as a ball of discouragement or worry or despair, you can rejoice that God has blessed you with adoption, one of the blessings in the heavenly places. It should also be obvious then that we're part of a different family. If we're in Christ, nothing that we can do, say, or fail to do, think, or say will change our status. But once a person is in Christ, our thoughts and our behavior should change. It would be odd, for example, for an adopted child to live exactly as they did in their previous life, as a slave of sin and Satan, aligning himself or herself with everything that the world or Satan values. Romans 8 shares the importance of living faithfully, again, using the imagery of sonship. It says this, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. That term Abba is a term of endearment, maybe close to daddy. Designates the closeness of a relationship. You know, prior to Christ, think about how people had to relate to God. You had to go to God understanding his holiness. Moses had to remove his shoes because he stood on holy ground. Isaiah, when confronted with the glory of the Lord, cried out that he's undone. The average person worshiping God had to do so from a distance. The Holy of Holies could only be entered once a year, and that by one person. The holy place was restricted. Even the temple grounds were restricted. And so there was a certain distance between you and God, that demonstrated that God is not like you. You were not divine buddies. The sacrificial system was a constant reminder that you could not come to God without a payment for your sin. But now, now that Christ has come, adoption is available and the distance between God and his children has closed. We no longer relate to God through the intercessory work of a priest, through barriers of walls and curtains to the holy and holy of holy places, through the killing of animals for the atonement of sin. One of the great gifts of adoption is you get to go to a loving, attentive father yourself. I get to approach him myself. 
And I get to thank him. I get to request things for him. I get to enjoy the relationship that we have directly. When a person is adopted into the family of God, they not only close the distance, but they have an attentive father concerned for them. Well, if that's not enough, we're actually told we become more like our father. I've used the human adoption in this message as a picture, but it does fall short of the glory of spiritual adoption. John MacArthur, writing on this passage, says this, Human parents can adopt children and come to love them every bit as much as they love their natural children. They can give an adopted child complete equality in the family life, resources, and inheritance. But no human parent can impart his own distinct nature to an adopted child. Yet that is what God miraculously does to every person whom he has elected and whom he ha- who has trusted in Christ. He makes them sons just like his divine son. Christians not only have all of the son's riches and blessings, but of all of the son's nature. That's why John tells us in John chapter 3, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, we now are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. Well, spiritual adoption. And it's got a lot of blessings, doesn't it? A lot of reasons to rejoice. The first one is that we got transferred from a dysfunctional family to the glorious family of the king. Number two, our adoption came at a high price. Again, in Ephesians 1 verse 5, we see he predestined us to adoption as sons. Notice the next words. Through Jesus Christ to himself. Only a few words, but full of meaning. I, at times, maybe you have as as well, bristled when I hear the cost of a human adoption. I realize that some of them are, are free or subsidized. But a quick Google search said the low end was $25,000. So we know that when a family chooses to adopt, they choose to make sacrifices of various kinds. There's a cost associated with it. Well, what was the price for our spiritual adoption? What was the price for us to be made sons and daughters of the Lord? And here we see, just a couple of verses later, through his blood. See, there was no other way. How can God's wrath against sin, against our sin, be satisfied? How can a holy God be just in rescuing anyone? Hebrews 2 tells us, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. 
Isaiah 53 tells us that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our spiritual adoption was not paid for in cash. It had to be brought, bought through the death of his only son, through Jesus Christ to himself. And, and I hope that, on the one hand, that results in a party in your heart. Like, wow, that is totally amazing that the Lord would die on my behalf. So I hope there's gratitude A little party going on in your heart. And there's even little prayers of thanksgiving arising from the auditorium this morning. Thank you, Lord, for that truth. I think it reminds us of the severity of our sin. So that we might not continue in it. That it's actually a big deal as opposed to a little deal. That it results in praise and worship. We sang how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch, that was us, his treasure. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. I hope it encourages us to pray. That I do have an attentive father interested in my concerns and in my joys, in my excitements, in my discouragements. I hope it would encourage us to want to please our father. Wow, this is what you did for me. And therefore, it is, it is easy as a result, to want to do something that would please you and honor you. Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Truth number three. Our adoption occurs because of his kind intention. The last part of verse 5 says, according to the kind intention of his will. Have you ever received a gift and wondered if the person was compelled to give it to you? It is my duty to give this to you. Now, we don't typically say that, but let's say you buy a person a Christmas present and then, you know, the next year you get something from them. Now, you didn't buy a Christmas present for that person because you wanted them to give you one in return. You just bought one for them because you wanted to express love and care and concern for them. But when they give you something back, you wonder, well, I wonder if they felt obligated. I wonder if they felt pressure. Or if they just did so because it was part of the joy of their own heart to decide to give something to somebody. Well, what's verse 5 say? According to the kind intention of his will. No part of the adoption process was forced or coerced. 
the Lord was not regretting his decision to put his plan in motion. He was not forced to bring it about except by his own will. He wasn't coerced by some outside force like, oh, well, he's kind of close, so I guess we'll let him in. Your adoption, my adoption. The adoption of all those that we hope to see come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior this coming year is a direct result of God's kindness. He delights in his plan. And even though there was a cost, he delights in the cost. He did exactly as he intended. It's pretty amazing that the Lord would crush his son and that that would actually please him so that you and I could join him. Well, we've seen three so far. Pretty good blessings of spiritual adoption. You get a new family. We see the cost associated with it. The result of his desire to make it so the kind intention of his will. Let's talk about a couple of more blessings. Adoption is a unique privilege. I I didn't know exactly how to express this point. So I'm going to let Wayne Grudem explain it for us. It's a rather long quote in your notes, but I, I want you to think about this argument for a moment. Although adoption is a privilege that comes to us at the time we become Christians, nevertheless, it is a privilege that is distinct from justification and distinct from regeneration. In regeneration, we are made spiritually alive, able to relate to God in prayer and worship and be able to hear his word with receptive hearts. But it's possible that God could have creatures who are spiritually alive and yet not members of his family and do not share the special privileges of family members. Angels, for example, apparently fall into that category. Therefore, it would have been possible for God to decide to give us regeneration without the great privilege of adoption into his family. Moreover, God could have given us justification without the privileges of adoption into his family. He could have forgiven our sins and given us right legal standing before him without making us his children. It is important to realize this because it helps us recognize how great are our privileges in adoption. Then he makes it more specific. Regeneration has to do with our spiritual life within. Justification has to do with our standing before God's law. But adoption has to do with our relationship with God as our Father. And in adoption, we are given many of the greatest blessings that we will know for all eternity. When we begin to realize the excellence of these blessings, and when we appreciate that God has no obligation to give us any of them, then we will be able to exclaim with the Apostle John, see what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. What a mind-blowing point. Do you get his argument? He's saying that we could have been redeemed. We could have been forgiven without making us a part of his family. Boy, the more I thought about it, the better adoption sounded. 
There's a lot of ways to bless people around us. But to be adopted, well, that's different. And it reminded me, as I was studying, of a conversation that Stephanie and I had before Christmas. See, she decided that we needed new stockings. We have, over the years, collected a hodgepodge of stockings. And so she decided, I, I want to get stockings that match. Well, there were two questions that related to this purchase. The first is, how many stockings should we buy? Joe has already gotten married now, so we knew that we needed four But, you know, Samuel could get married someday, and Mackenzie could get married someday. So we thought, well, should we buy four, or should we buy five, or should we buy six? And we thought, well, let's buy six, because worst case scenario, we don't use a couple of them. Uh, But if we only buy four, then when the time comes when we need six, then they're not going to have these again. And so we'll have to buy six all over again. You, You get the thinking there? Well, then came the second question. So, okay, decision number one, we decided to buy six. Question number two, who gets their name on a stocking? You know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend could potentially receive a stocking. Like, we're all good with that. But the question was, do you put their name on the stocking? Because that sounded different. So here's what we decided to do. We only put names on four of them. We might buy things for other people who are hanging around and potentials at some point in the future, but you only get your name on a stocking if you're adopted, if you're part of the family, if you're one of the kids, then you get your name on the stocking. Isn't it amazing that God not only saved us, but gave us a stocking with our name on it? You got a stocking with our name on it. The way the Bible puts it is we receive an inheritance. In verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. How amazing that the Lord gives us a stake in his heaven. This is the same truth that comes out of Galatians 4. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father, so also we. While we were children, we're held in bondage under the elementary things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We've seen that already. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. So what is it we receive? I think the... The best way to describe it is all that God has promised. In Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely give him all things, us all things in him? 
You know, I have a difficult time imagining what heaven will be like. I relate to the song, I Can Only Imagine. The Bible describes heaven in terms that I cannot experience living in a sin-cursed world. When Revelation 21 says there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more death, that's not the world I live in. It's hard to imagine what that world would be like. It's hard to imagine what a world without conflicts would be like. I mean, apparently we're not going to need news people. Because there's, hey, I got good news. Hey, I got good news. Hey, I got good news. It's amazing. How in the world can we experience that kind of existence? And yet that's what we're told. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? And something that is reserved for the children. The last point this morning is our adoption is final. Finalization day, gotcha day, adoption day is the day when the family goes to the courthouse and the judge declares the adoption final. And the friends and family then celebrate together. Well, you know, when somebody repents and believes, in Luke 15 it says, I tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Once it's final, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ. John 10 mentioned there's no one that can snatch us out of the Father's hand. So when he makes us his, he makes us his permanently. So, brothers and sisters, fellow adoptees and family members, let's rejoice. Let's have a party that we got our name on the stocking because the Lord welcomes us into his family, removing us from our dysfunctional previous one. It came at the cost of his own son's life. It was according to the kind intention of his will, not something that he was coerced or manipulated to do. Let's stand in all of the blessings that we have been given, and then let's praise the Lord. And I want to encourage you to, as you think about this greatness, to pray, to invite others, and to witness to those around you so that they might join the family, that those who are lost would be found. That those without a saving relationship with Christ would come to learn it this year. Because what is all this for? Well, verse 6 told us, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the amazing gift of spiritual adoption. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the amazing love that you have given. And thank you, Lord, that you have 
allowed each of us who have placed our faith in Christ to be called a son or daughter. Thank you that you give us, then, the privilege of calling you Father. Thank you that you give us access and that you care. We're told to cast our cares on you because you care for us. Lord, I pray for those who may not yet have a saving relationship with Christ, may not be adopted yet. So we're asking that you would help them to see their need for Jesus, to see the thing they've been living for. And rather than respond with, okay, yeah, whatever, that today would be their gotcha day, their finalization day. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace and would ask that you would help us to live consistent with what you have done in our lives. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen.